Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Cindy Gozanski, if we haven't met, and I really appreciate you joining, whether you're brand new or you're returning. It really means a lot to me because I see this podcast as a way to create community for we heart-centered therapists. With that, I'm super excited to bring a guest on the show today. Today I have Monica Helvey. Monica is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California and Texas, duly licensed, a certified EMDR therapist, certified trauma therapist, and a trauma-informed coach for audacious, overworked, and burnt-out therapists. All of you should be raising your hands because I know (laughs) we are so burnt out. Monica uses holistic, trauma-informed, body-based interventions to help her clients realign their passion and their values so they can break through their burnout and achieve authentic alignment with their best self so they can do their best work. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here, Monica. This is such an important topic. Yeah, I am so thrilled to be here with you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And so we are going to talk about burnout and burnout prevention and those stories where we rise above it and we have ways to really feel the passion for our work that we came to this field with. I always start with that question, though. What does being a heart-centered therapist mean to you? Yes, I love this question because we all have such different answers, but ultimately the the themes can be so similar. So the way that I think of a heart-centered therapist is someone who leads with vulnerability and authenticity, passion and love, and they work to be fully present and aligned with themselves their clients, and their relationships, even with their relationship with their work. So I think of a heart-centered therapist as somebody who is actively and intentionally working to soften their self-protection, the behaviors and, and the responses that we can have, so that they can really begin to reveal more of themselves to themselves, but also to others around them. Wow, that's so beautiful. I haven't heard somebody say it that way about softening Mm -hmm. our protections. And that's so key, I think, to that opening of our heart in so many ways. That's it's really great. And you and I were talking too about before we started, because we were so excited about like heart-centered approaches. You know it when you see it, right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. And yeah, there's just like we were talking before, I have had folks who've advised me in my marketing to take out heart-centered. What does that mean? People don't know what that is. And I'm always in defense of it. No, my people know what it is. People who want to live wholeheartedly and authentically and in their alignment, that's who this is. That, that, to me, that is who the wholehearted therapist is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's great. 
That's and such a good lesson too. Your people know what it is. And we yeah. want to turn away people in our marketing, even in our psychology today profiles or directories who aren't our best fit. Yeah. And so that's a really good lesson. And our heart-centered approaches can change as we mature, as we develop, as we have different experiences. And so that's why I haven't worn out the question yet. We'll see. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Keep yeah. it. Look, I have been burnt out. I have shared a little bit of my burnt out story and it still comes up. I've recently been helping my mother transition to an assisted living. And that's a whole different piece of burnout from like a familial and emotional labor type of stance. But we therapists go through our own burnout time and again, different aspects of our work. You're, you have your own burnout story. Could you share a little of it with us? And then how you got into doing this work, helping therapists exit the burnout cycle? Yeah. I think just to your point, we all have different iterations of our own burnout, right? So arguably my burnout story probably happened somewhere in high school, in college, in grad school, right? There's been different confrontations with it. And really where I say it really came to a head was for me in 2017. So at that time, I had three kids under five. My youngest had just turned one. I was working full-time in community mental health as an auditor, a supervisor, a clinician providing direct services. And I was also on the side of that, working in a private practice. And it really stood out to me later down the road, as I had already begun doing my burnout work, that even my stepping out of the community mental health setting was one of those high achiever parts that was overdriving, right? And was imagining that more achievement was going to be the way to joy, like more work, more fulfilling work, right? So it was about more yes, versus about what needs to come off. What do I need to delegate? What do I need to do less of? I, so that was something that I had to confront later on, but in the throes of it, I couldn't see it. One thing I will say to my clients and often is it's hard to read the label when you're in the jar. And for oh, me, yeah, I, I was, yeah, it's like, I was too close to it. I couldn't even see, I was so disconnected from myself that I couldn't even see how burnt out I was. Yeah. And so it really took a marriage crisis for my husband to wake me up to the reality that I was working too much. I was coming home irritated and frazzled and not emotionally spacious for myself or my family. Mm. Um, and he was, what are you doing all this for? Who are you doing this for? And it was like, oh, yeah, I don't have to be doing this. What am I, what is driving this? What is motoring this? So it was through healing and working things through my relationship there that I really started to understand some of the core beliefs and patterns that were driving me to taking on more when I really wanted to be doing less. Those core beliefs that came, and I'm sure from other old stories that mm -hmm. you had and expectations and family stories and reasons that you felt like you had to always do more and achieve to prove to someone else or yourself or yeah. whatever, right? Like yeah. we have these stories and especially I think 
in this field, we go into this field a lot because we're coming out of these like wounded places, right? Yes. Yes. Oftentimes. And Mm -hmm. when we're not conscious of it, it really can drive us right into those behaviors and patterns and those dynamics. I wasn't aware of it at the time, but the ways that we show up to, to work and in our work is a relationship. We relate to our work and we relate to our clients. And so there's a lot of familial relationship stuff that we are conscious of to some extent clinically. But then when we step out of that chair and we're writing our administrative notes or sitting in supervision as a participant or as, as a supervisor, we might be less aware of how those relationship dynamics are still there with us. Exactly, which can equally lead to burnout. Burnout isn't just the therapist-client interaction. It can be systemic. But you have said some really great things, Monica, that I just want to underscore because that, that notion that sometimes we're not even aware of what's happening, again, that goes to you can't read the label if you're in the jar, right? Yeah. Even culturally, even within our families and our cultures, we may not be aware of these stories that we ascribe to that no longer serve us. And your language is so beautiful. Like when you said your husband is like, why is this happening? You're, you're like not emotionally spacious, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's such a great, that's such a great phrase. I love it. I think mm-hmm. we all would long to have more of that to be more emotionally spacious. And you realize that early on when your kids were still young. Yeah, thank God, because I I really do look back at the woman that I was at that time and with so much compassion for her and why she was operating in those stories, not with judgment, but just with so much compassion. Oh, I see you. I know what you were doing there, but also just so much freedom and just showing up so differently today in the ways that I operate, the ways that I structure my private practice. Like I get to be different now because of the work I did then. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that really, because you're sharing this healing, just as you say that you experienced and then the healing way that you can see and acknowledge your younger self that went (laughs) through that. And it's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Monica. Yeah. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned one, this a core belief that drives us to burnout, which is we must do more high achieving, like productivity achievements is going to equal happiness. Usually it doesn't. <laughs> what are some of the other core beliefs? Because you've worked with so many therapists around this issue. Yeah. And these aren't the only ones that are out there, right? I have a niche like many other people, right? So these, this is what seems to, to gravitate towards me. And I have done dozens of interviews with burnt out therapists and then my colleagues just chatting at supervision and things like that. So I have observed these general themes to be the most prominent, but certainly they're not the only ones. But the core beliefs, just the patterns around perfectionism or that strong drive to get it right. I hear that often, just like, I want to make the right choice. This can look even just as clinicians are starting their private practice. I want to pick the right EHR. I want to pick the right credit card processing platform. And it can be really immobilizing when we have these preconceived notions that there's a right path 
And if I don't choose the right one, then what? I won't do it. It'll fail. So that's particular belief shows up often. And I think it can absolutely be reinforced through like school systems and things like that, where there maybe was a more definitive, clear cut answer. A lot of therapists are high achieving folks, right? They have master's degrees, right? There's not thousand percent of the population, right? Like it's not that many folks that have this. Exactly. Um, we have those master's degrees where we're working and doing internships for free yes. and all of the other things. Totally. So I do think that therapists tend to be high achievers yeah. by nature. Yeah. Some even have doctorates. Just, yes, I have so much appreciation for folks, but yeah, that drive to get it right or make right choices is one of them. Another one that I see often is like this hyper-independence where there can be a lot of difficulty receiving support or even saying, Hey, I need help raising that hand. There's a lot of stigma around I'm the helper, I'm the fixer, I shouldn't need help, I should have this figured out, I shouldn't have my own relationship struggles, I should know how to parent my kid, right? So a lot of this weight around having to carry the burdens of not just their clients, but their own self and their family systems. And if they're not receiving support with that, it's no wonder they're burning out, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. That's what was going through my head too, that sense often that we have to to do it all and we should have it all together and we're human too. And that stigma is really there. And I've seen it so much, which is part of the reason I created the Heart Centered Therapist Facebook community so that we could come together and Mm -hmm. share about things that might be hard because sometimes we don't feel safe sharing it with a colleague who might look at us sideways or, or with our supervisor. And so I think for therapists finding connection and community that's non-judgmental is really important. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. With the similar values of being heart-centered, right? Mm -hmm. With that same value of being in alignment. Yes, it's so important to have that community, but there are a number of therapists that really struggle to receive that and have had past experiences that were not positive with asking for help and receiving help. I think every single person has a story about being in a group project that didn't work out well for them. Yeah. And and those past experiences where we maybe make a meaning that it's easier to just do it on my own. It's just, if you want something done well, you got to do it yourself. Those old school sayings. So yeah, certainly it's not an easy pattern to pattern, but very important to help prevent burnout. And also that we are worthy of receiving that help, that we're worthy of, and this could come from a trauma background or something else, doesn't really matter. But -hmm. what I've seen is it can manifest even in something as simple as getting supervision or consultation. And, And you and I were talking about that. If you're at an agency where you don't have a supervisor who can give you that attention, you might just think, okay, this is it. This is all I get. What am I going to do? And you and I both did different things. (laughs) We paid for outside supervisors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and sometimes that is the way that we have to move in the world to deal within the systems that we have. And that requires us, again, shifting into our power and saying, I am not stuck with this limitation. I get to decide what I do here. And so I just want to name that, though, because... For someone who is struggling in the throes of burnout, they may be feeling very helpless. They may be feeling very, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Everyone around me is burnt out. 
what do you even mean? And to that particular clinician who may be listening, I say, just start dipping your toe in the water. Just try to be amongst people who are maybe looking to get out of those kinds of systems who are valuing heart-centered living and heart-centered practicing. Because again, you are going to be most like the five people you surround yourself with. But if you are surrounded by folks that are burnt out and don't see a way out and aren't interested in discovering that, that will be your reality too. That's right. That's right. And then that just amplifies that feeling of helplessness. And it becomes almost like this badge of honor that oh, oh yeah, so burnt out. Oh, I've seen so many clients. I'm so burnt out. And <laughs> and we've seen all of those memes, but I think it's such great advice to somebody who's listening, who's feeling burnt out and who's everybody around me is this way. Yeah. So take a risk, find somebody else. And yes, it's about your heart. It's also about your mind, right? Like we are whole beings, right? With our soul and our minds and we need to use our minds too. And if your supervisor isn't there for you, then how are you going to learn? How are you going to be able to conceptualize something and offer it to your client or have that nervous system regulation where you can sit with them? Like you have so many things to tell to share with us, Monica. I don't <laughs> want to get too far ahead, but what do we do when we think I got to wear this badge of honor like all my other colleagues? Yeah. And even that belief, like I am keeping up with my colleagues who are also burnt out, right? Or I got to pull my weight because we're all drowning, right? Those are two of the other core beliefs, like people pleasing, right? Mm -hmm. And over-functioning, right? Being the rock star, being the go person, a team player, right? Those types of mentalities are also very common core beliefs that, that are driving us into that burnout. And really, again, they're coming from a protective place, but they may not serve us in those moments when we're saying yes to something that we don't have spaciousness to do. It's if everybody is overwhelmed and you're, they have all, they all have 30 cases. So I have 30 cases too. We're all burnt out, right? I guess I'll raise my hand when the supervisor says, who can take this one? We're all burnt out. So I guess I'll take the fall. Why? Why? What if we just say none of us have capacity? Yeah. We might need to refer that individual out. What if we all just say, no, no, we can't. We're not going to keep up. We're not going to keep trying to take on more water. We have to put a stop. I recognize that may be not possible in certain community mental health settings, but I do think that at some point, even in community mental health agencies, having a robust network to refer out to other agencies or to other private practices or small group practices, I think that becomes an ethical imperative at some point. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so. Get somebody connected with a case manager. And to your point, Monica, share how we carry the same kind of systemic burnout view when we say, okay, I'm going to leave community mental health and start my own private practice. <laughs> yeah. So I did that. <laughs> How did I? <laughs> yeah. I felt like it was safe to replicate those systems, right? Because I was acting as an auditor, quality assurance manager in my um, community mental health setting. So I felt like this is what's safe. This is what we have to do to be safe with insurances, to be safe with the state. And I took that template as the gold standard for how to establish my private practice. But it didn't work in community mental health. And surprise, it didn't really work out either in my private practice. Trying to see the same number of clients I saw when I was in community mental health with less resources, with less of a team, um, with less systems in place was completely unsustainable. 
and absolutely led to my burnout. But again, I was using community mental health as the gold standard instead of coming inward and checking with myself and my own alignment and saying, what do I need? What do I want? What do I want to be doing? What's the quality of the service I want to be providing? Who do I do the best work with? I didn't really even start asking myself those questions until, again, the burnout was like, boop, in my face. I didn't want to go to work on Monday. And I was like, I'm my own boss. (laughs) What does this say about me? (laughs) So that, again, was another moment of truth for me where I had to really say, hey, what are we doing? We're not leading with our own value system here. Yeah, yeah. And so what have you found that helps you and helps other therapists who want to find that alignment for themselves. I know it's not an overnight fix and it requires some deep work because we have to really figure out what our passion is, what our sweet spot of working with our clients and our skills are. Yes, absolutely. All of those are great starting points, really. Generally, we'll say that recognition and reintegration with your own inner child, with your taking radical responsibility for your protective strategies that are working, knowing what they are, that doesn't happen overnight, right? It's again, we have to peel back the layers of our self-protection ourself. With that exploration, there has to be this nervous system healing that's happening that allows us to then go deeper. And all the while, as we become more consciously attuned to our protection, our painful past, we also can become more aligned and clear about our values, our needs, our wants, our desires, the type of work that lights us up, our passions. But it's this taking off those protections, building up our internal resourcing, and then recalibrating to our North Star. So beautifully said. Yes. And I love that way you talk about these like pr- protective parts of us because that does take the judgment off and it's really important as a way for us to have compassion for ourselves we are great having compassion for our clients less so for ourselves (laughs) yes yeah Yeah. oftentimes that's true Mm -hmm. so with the nervous system like regulation and reintegration i know it's different for everybody what have you found has been especially helpful for you as you go through this process Yeah, man, so many exercises, so many tools. For me, it was integrating more nervous system attunement and exercises in my day. Mm. Again, recognizing that I didn't have to wait until I got home to reconnect with myself. So now the way it looks is I build in these breaks or I build in my schedule some margin, which Mm -hmm. was really unsafe to... I call her Monica 1.0, like the earlier version of me, who was very much working in a high achiever part, who was very much in over-functioning parts, to tell her to enjoy the rest and receive Mm -hmm. that margin was like, I'm not going to be important. I'm not going to be like needed, Mm -hmm. right? There was all this fear around that margin. Doing the healing work so I could have some more margin in my day to then integrate within my practice my nervous system self-practice. Those breaks of, of rest and, and realignment. 
Yeah. Simple stuff, right? Eating, (laughs) getting a walk in the middle of the day, doing some of those things. So where I could say, okay, if I had a particularly heavy session and I'm noticing myself feeling a little bit more lower in energy, giving myself permission to like, okay, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to notice that. What do I need here? How can I tend to that? And so it's just being able to build that internal connection with myself. One practical skill that I love to do is just lay down flat on my back with my legs up the wall, Uh right? It's just, and just hold the breath right there and just feel that groundedness. I work at from home now. So I'm a telehealth provider exclusively and Mm -hmm. I have kitties and I have puppies and I have chickens. And so just going out for out in the yard and and watching the animals play or being in the sun, those are very simple, low cost nervous system regulation tools that again, if you have margin, Mm -hmm. you get to work into your life, into your day and support yourself with what you need. You need to move, you have room for a dance break. You need to rest, you have room for that, right? This margin concept is brilliant. It's It really is. And, and it's so opposite of what we come up learning, that you have to just go, mm-hmm. work really hard, and go to the end of the hour and then start again with somebody else or all yeah. of those things or anybody who's worked in agencies or community mental health or crisis or hospitals, like you are just on all the time. Yes. And so the concept of a margin is foreign to you and that's okay. And that's why... Monica is here (laughs) to introduce us to something that sounds very simple, right? You could go outside, you could look up and see the beautiful sky. Once I had a supervisor tell me after a really heavy session, she said, just try to look at something beautiful. I know you don't have much time. Just try to look at something beautiful. And that really resonated for me because it was a little like minute thing that you could do, like a micro, micro regulation. Yeah, totally. And here's the thing is that I think we we can become, again, because we're stuck in a go-go sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we want a radical change. We want to feel totally rested and relaxed. And So sometimes when we make these suggestions for these mini breaks, these glimmers, these little things that we can scan for the burnt out clinicians, they're like, that's not going to do it. And to, to their point, yeah, it's not going to take you from 100 to zero, Mm -hmm. but it's going to take you from hundred to 98 and then from 98 to 90, right? Like it's slow progression in the right direction. We might even say this to our clients, trauma happens fast. Healing happens slow. And so what we're really needing to look for is actually these 1% better, these little moments where I feel 1% better, they accumulate and they grow into a more regulated, present, authentic, aligned self. Mm-hmm. And so I, I will tell people, sometimes it's really unsexy. Like it's not the super glamorous okay. response, but I think folks really understand it once they begin to do the work, because we've all been burnt out, gone on a vacation, felt great, got back and we're immediately burnt out again. It's the worst. That is just the <laughs> <Right>? worst. <laughs> it's like, we couldn't hold it. We couldn't really embody that relaxation beyond the moments where it was safe to pause, rest and have margin. And then you're beating yourself up because what did I do wrong? How come I didn't rest enough? Yes. Yeah. Why is this happening to me? Maybe I can't handle the workload is what I hear a lot. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not cut out to be a therapist because this just feels really heavy for me. And to that, to their point, I'm like, it's yes, this is really heavy work. 
but there is a way to sustain it. And if you're passionate about it and you're interested in developing that muscle, like strengthening that muscle so you can do the heavy lifts, it's possible. Yes, yes. And that goes to your point and your passion about really trying to look at this crisis that's within the mental health crisis, the mental health crisis of not enough therapists, not enough accessibility, not enough access to mental health services. And then we have what you just said, people think I can't do it. And there's these mass exits of the field, even from very new therapists. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There was a a study that was done. Oh, I want to say it was in 2021, maybe 2020 that came out and they studied 37 clinics and they found that for every 13 clinicians who leave the outpatient community mental health clinic, there was only 10 that were able to replace them. Again, at at that rate, we're already severely in, in a trouble where patients can't access care. But at that rate, it's not looking good for the future of clinicians, for clinicians feeling overwhelmed and overworked, but also for clients trying to access care. And so that's really where this passion for me came from is just, there are some really exceptional clinicians who are gifted in the work that they do. They haven't found a way to sustainably remain in this work. And that just absolutely breaks my heart. Just seeing people leave the thing that they feel so called to do because they haven't learned, nobody's taught them how to strengthen that muscle. And and it's not taught to us. You know, we don't typically have courses on it in grad school. And and then once we get into the field, everybody's too busy to clue us in. What do you need to do instead? Well, they're so burned out. (laughs) They're so burned out. Yeah. 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 And of course, this isn't just mental health um, people, right? There's so many other providers, even primary care providers, huge exiting the field, the nurses, Mm -hmm. the whole thing. So we're really- Teachers too, yeah. Oh, teachers, yes. And Mm -hmm. so anybody who is at that high risk of burnout could Mm -hmm. benefit from looking at what is something you could do to start to bring in the 1%. The 1% adds up. I, yes. I love that 10% happier. What if I could meditate and be 10% happier? I'm still trying to do that. I'm not so good at meditating, but I love <laughs> that just 10% happier concept. Yeah. Yeah. We're not trying to feel night and day difference. And when we feel that 1% better, then again, we high achievers were like, check, I could cross that off my list. It worked. I did it like gold star. And so it, it makes that expectation more achievable. And that reinforces us continuing to utilize those skills. Mm -hmm. I know when I was in the throes of burnout, I'm like, go for a walk. Who has time? I don't want to go for a walk. But if I was told there's these other things, focus on something beautiful in your office. If I was told that, I could do that. That's achievable. Okay. Then there's some hopefulness. Exactly. Or even remembering this conversation, right? That, oh, Monica said, try it. 1%, it adds up. Like these are cumulative things that we start to practice that our body will then hold on to and prompt us for once we start changing that physiology. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you have created, besides being a therapist practicing in two states with your license, you've also started doing coaching. And it led me to this question of coaching for therapists, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And high achievers. And it just, it led me to this question of what about 
What is it about innovation? Do you think that innovating and expanding your services helps protect with burnout? Yes. And I love this question, but I also want to preface that creativity and the ability to think outside of the box and innovate was more accessible to me when I was in a safer regulated body. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Because the idea of like outside of the box, what? That's unfamiliar. That's scary to my nervous system. Expanding felt terrifying. Visibility was, oh, like I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So stepping into even being on podcasts and what brings me joy and what feels fun for me, what feels like play, where can I innovate and be creative? A lot of that came out of doing the healing work. And so if there are any burnt out therapists that are saying like, how can they even come up with these things? Yeah. Redesigning and realigning your work and your relationships and your practice, all of that, you might need support first. So for me, what it has done is just given me so much, like it's opened up the field of how I can do work and the ways that I work. And I'm not as afraid of doing it wrong. It's so open. You're like, oh. You wish you could see her <laughs> wide <laughs> open, arms wide open. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, there's just not the fear of, of doing it wrong or having to do it the way somebody else did it. There's just more play. There's more um, experimentation. We're just going to see how this works. If it doesn't work out and it's not a failure, it's just play. It has given me back so much energy into thinking about like, how do I get to show up? How do I want to show up again? What do I value? What's the message that I really want to put out there? And who are the people that I do the best work with that really light me up? And how do I really speak to them and find them? Yes, the innovation has really come out of doing that healing work and addressing those limits and those beliefs so that I could, so that I could create and play. Yeah, that's awesome. And it sounds like you're working with people who were like you at one point, right? Really helping like your younger self in some ways to heal and then to thrive. So tell us a little, Monica, about Business of Thriving. If you're listening now, you can check out her website, businessofthriving.com. Yeah, I, this has just become, again, like I said, a passion project for me. It's just, um, this iteration is directed at therapists. I have dreams of expanding this to those teachers, to those other Bertow professionals who are feeling called to do the work that they're doing, but are feeling extremely overwhelmed and overworked and stressed by it. So this work um, right now is looking like it's directed at burnt out therapists in a group container. And I have designed it that way with the idea of community and connection at the heart of the healing Um, because we really do heal and go so much deeper into our healing work when we have a group component. So it's not exclusively group. It also does have some um, one-to-one work um, where we really zero in on your specific areas of concern or your specific block points. And we really do a lot of looking at the nervous system and values clarification and really getting aligned with ourself first so that we can begin to show up aligned elsewhere. So that's a little bit about the work we're doing there. And oh. it's honestly just, like I said, it's a passion project for me to help clinicians remain in the work they love doing is just, it just feeds my soul. 
That's so great. It's so exciting. And I love that you're working with therapists because we need that. We need people who get us, who get our unique challenges and that we can't necessarily go home and talk about what a hard day we had in as much detail as we might wish or get the support because there's stigma or all of those things. So I think that's really great. Have you had like success stories where somebody goes through your program and what's the change or what's the transformation or maybe in a a way you could composite tell us about that yeah yeah I do have some stories a number of my clinicians that I've worked with have actually determined that some of them left their private practice and went back into a, a community setting because they felt more internally resourced to do that work and they really loved and believed and were passionate about the work there. So they actually made some changes there to return to what us private practice clinicians can sometimes be like, what, you're going back to the heart of the beast? But they were so much more internally resourced and had um, systems in place that they felt that's where they needed to be. And so I was like, oh my gosh, you're returning to that. That's incredible. So that was a huge win. What a gift to the community and that they could return to the high achieving position, but be resourced themselves. That is phenomenal. Yeah. And then I just think even just the stories where I work with folks who are wanting to, they have a message, but they have trauma around visibility. They had family systems or or cultures where they were to be the listener, not the speaker, right? Not the one who's just having those blocks healed can allow them to be more visible and be seen. And what that does for them in, in their business or in their work, who's to say, but- you Have a voice. Yeah. It makes their marketing and, and their message that much clearer and more available to people. And then their ideal client finds them because they're talking, they're speaking, right? So yeah, just being able to, what they can receive from that. Again, some of these wins aren't necessarily numerical, right? But oh, the payoff, it's there for sure. And I just think for me, what I have created is the thing that I really wanted when I was going through it. I... The, the struggles that I found with when looking for a community or when even looking for a therapist who was willing to work with a therapist, because mm-hmm. I could be really heady. A number of therapists can be really good we at being in our heads. <laughs> are so good at that. We are yeah. so good at that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so just like wanting that challenge of help me drop into my body, mm-hmm. help me drop into my heart. That was my plea. And And it was a really hard thing for me to find. And so that's really what I'm hoping to create in in that group dynamic is just helping clinicians access that space where they can finally come out of their head and drop into their fullness, their whole connection. Yeah. And I hope the listener is feeling some of that emotional spaciousness as you say that, because it's what we long for. It's hard to ask for because of our acculturation in this Mm -hmm. field. And that's such a beautiful gift of mentorship and caring that you could help somebody that way. And so if you're listening and you feel like that, it's so hard for me to drop into my heart, even though I do it with other people, but it's hard for me. And I know there's so much more out there. I really encourage you to connect with Monica because you can just hear she's the real deal and (laughs) she's been there and she knows exactly what it feels like and also what it feels to get those one percents and start feeling healed and regulated and passionate about your work and wanting to show up on Monday 
<laughs> yeah. Wouldn't we all love that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I'm telling you, I do love the work that I do now. Yeah. And yeah, it's just. I think you smiled the whole time we've been talking, <laughs> which is is just amazing. It's so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. What would fun. you tell? What would you tell yourself? Like just going back, like mm -hmm. just starting back out. I don't think you'd change where you are, but what would you maybe tell yourself just starting out? Yeah, I think the main thing I would tell myself is it is going to be hard, but it is just infinitely so much better. Life that I was living was completely unsustainable and parts of me knew it and were craving something different, but there was not enough self-trust that it was out there for me that I was worthy of it, that I could have it, that I could receive it. And, and it was scary. And so I think just telling that Monica, you're right. It is going to be tough. Like it is. And oh, it's going to be, you are going to get the thing that you want. It's going to be worth it. Yeah. My kids are older now, but I get to take them to school and I get to receive them and they come bouncing in the house full of energy. Right. And there was an earlier time where it was like, so overstimulating. It was like nails on a chalkboard and it was like, Oh, I was so touched okay. out. And that's yeah. not the mom that I wanted to be. And it's not the mom that I have to be anymore. So just infinitely better, just so worth it. That's what I would so tell So worth it. Yeah. And that you're worth it. And somebody yes. listening to this, I hope you can see that that you are worth your dreams and listen to that inner yes. wisdom that's telling you something doesn't feel right. This is so mm -hmm. hard, but I still want to be in this profession. I still want to serve. I still feel this connection and I know I have something to offer. Yes. And there can be a way, as Monica says, for it to be infinitely better. Thank you so much, Monica, for being on the Heart Centered Therapist podcast today. I've loved our conversation, and I just really want to acknowledge you for working with our therapists, working with people just like you and me who get in those places of burnout. And we come by that honestly, and we honestly also need someone to help us heal and get out of there. And so thank you for doing this really heart-centered work with therapists. And I hope everyone will find out more about you. So share with us again where people can learn about you, Monica. Yeah, I'm on Instagram the most actively. So that's just Monica Helvey, LMFT. And you can connect with me for coaching at businessofthriving.com. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is so awesome. And this experience is like my heart-centered work. So I love it. Thank you so much oh, for this opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.